You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is No variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 389 of this podcast. Today is May 13th, 2022. That was, of course, the first chapter of James, the New Testament letter of James. And that will be our main topic for this episode But before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit, just real, real quick, real briefly, about some of what is in the news, particularly with regards to babies. Let's talk about babies. Ben Zeisloft at the Daily Wire writes, Republican-led Louisiana House fails to pass bill abolishing abortion. So apparently what happened is a bill made it through Louisiana House's Criminal Justice Committee last week. It was approved by a vote of 7-2, to two, and it would have absolutely abolished abortion in the state of Louisiana. The consequences, however, to a mother 
who might seek an abortion were a bit of a sticking point for some. And so the bill was amended, and the amendment to the legislation stated that, and I quote, the pregnant female shall not be held responsible for the criminal consequences of seeking an abortion. That amendment passed 65 to 26, and State Rep. Danny McCormick, Republican, of course, of course he's a Republican, of course. Even though there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats, they're all the same, of course it was Republican because, of course, they're not actually the same. At least they shouldn't be. The party platforms are not the same. But McCormick, who sponsored House Bill 813, HB 813, asked to pull the bill from the House floor. And the long and short of it is he put forward a bill that would abolish abortion in the state in part because we now have a conservative majority, originalist interpretation majority, Supreme Court of the United States. A Supreme Court which is expected on Monday to overturn Roe v. Wade, at least as of the last I read. And given that fact, what better time? If this is going to be kicked back to the states, what better time for the states to say, that's enough, no more abortion. Nope, we outlaw all other kinds of murder. This is murder, so therefore this will be illegal. What better time, especially in Republican majority states, what better time to say, enough, 50 years, that's enough, no more. But of course, it's not enough to be Republican majority Not all Republicans are created equal. Some Republicans do actually give validity to the claim that there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats. Some mushy Republicans can always be relied on to betray their party's platform. They put an R behind their name, and that was enough for the voters who wanted a Republican, who thought they knew what they were getting when they voted Republican, and instead they ended up getting very often over the past several decades, actually since the outset of the Republican Party in this country, very often what they got was not necessarily principled conservatives, but rather utilitarian conservatives. So it's not all the same, and I think it's just a a very sad story that abolition of abortion, actually that's the name of this Act, the Abolition of Abortion in Louisiana Act, great name for it, was withdrawn and failed to pass because of mushy Republicans. Hope you guys are happy. Good job. And of course, I don't mean that. You should be ashamed of yourselves. That's what I actually mean. Now, riddle me this. Here's a big question. If someone were going to put forth legislation saying, that it is against the law, supposing it wasn't already, supposing it had been legal for 50 years to dispose of your born children prior to the age of, oh, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, supposing it had been legal to murder your children, so long as you're the mom, you know, the mom can do that. She just decides she's done cooking and cleaning and doesn't want the hassle anymore. She's tired of it. Awful. Being a mother is just just awful to her. She doesn't want these children anymore. So let's suppose that given uh, a hypothetical alternate universe or country, it was legal for her to take her child to a doctor, so long as it was done by a professional. Take her child younger than the set age and have that child brutally murdered, not just given some medicine, made to go to sleep, but just like without anesthesia, torn limb from limb. And then let's suppose that one party said parents should absolutely always and forever have that right. I mean, look at inflation. Look at 
shortages of all kinds of things. We just can't support anybody who's not going to be pulling their weight. If you're not old enough to go out and get a full-time job and contribute to the economy, we just don't have room for you. Sorry. You know, it's a great time to get an abortion, according to some people that MSNBC has trotted out this past week. Look at the baby formula shortage. Look at inflation. Now more than ever, women need to be able to get an abortion if they want to, legally. But let's suppose that it had been legal to murder children up to the age of 5, 10, 15, 20 for 50 years. And then a Republican puts forward a bill saying, no, no more, enough. 60 million children have been murdered in the past 50 years. And the time for that to stop is now. And then let's suppose you get mushy Republicans, not hard to imagine, in this alternate universe, just has to be like our universe, like our country in here. And the mushy Republicans say, well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll vote for a bill that makes it illegal to murder your children. We just don't believe that the mother should be held criminally responsible if she commits murder of her own children. We just don't think that's that. We think that's too far. The doctor, yeah. But we don't think the mother should be held responsible. No, she's, she's a victim, actually. Why? Why? That would be my question. Why? What makes her the victim if she is trying to have her child killed? It makes no sense. Either abortion is murder or it isn't. If abortion is not murder, then why would you be voting for the bill to abolish abortion? If abortion is murder, then why would you be opposed to women who try to murder their children being held criminally liable? Or should they only be criminally liable past a certain age? Past whatever age those children are born, that's where we're at. Oh, why, why stop there? Why, why not just say, well, the, you know, the mom didn't realize it was going to be so difficult, so we should give her up to a year to change her mind. We should give her up to five years. How about, you know, school age? That's when it starts to get to be a different ball of wax and she's got to take the kid to school if the kid goes to a public school or private school that can be a real downer or how about 10 10 years old you know we really just we tried we tried everything but it's just not working out 15 yeah well that you know now they are able to drive and you know, we can't afford insurance, can't afford to have another vehicle. And they're just, you know, this teenager business, they're, they're getting mouthy. And, uh, you know, if a mom decides she wants to abort her 14-year-old child, well, then, you know, she's, she's really the victim. No, no, it's, it, that's insane. That's crazy town. And the mushy, the mushy middle Republicans who just tried to amend or did amend the bill that was withdrawn, which would remove any kind of criminal penalties for a mother seeking an abortion, are just as nonsensical as an alternate universe host of Republicans would be if it had been legal to abort your post-birth, postpartum children. So that's a sad state of affairs. That's that in a nutshell. We haven't heard the last of it. And of course, Monday, when the anticipated ruling is handed down. Monday will be when you should really, really watch to see what the states do. And honestly, in November as well, what will be the repercussions? I actually predict that Republicans who stand on principle here and are consistent will do well. And the mushy middle Republicans, it's now or never. If you can't figure this out, you should not be elected to office until you can, until you have got this straight. And if you don't ever get it straight, you are absolutely not qualified. But of course, it's complicated, or so I'm told. In other news, I want to talk about two books that I just finished today. Two books which are very interesting to consider back-to-back -back the way that I have to, given the fact that I just finished them both. 
And this is kind of what I do. This is why I have a podcast with a subtitle. I want to talk about everything. Because sometimes you don't realize the connection between things quite as well if you're always examining them in isolation. But when you put them in juxtaposition, very similar to how Edmund Burke talks about in his philosophical treatise, Philosophical Inquiry into the Sublime and Beautiful, when you put them in a compare and contrast scenario against one another, all of a sudden you start noticing more and more their peculiar qualities, their unique qualities. So the first of two books I want to tell you about, talk with you about, is one that came up, I think in large part because I've been reading books like Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue, for instance, Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville, for instance, City of God by Augustine of Hippo, for instance. But this one is Reason, Faith, and the Struggle for Western Civilization by Samuel Gregg. And I'll, as I often do when I talk about books I've read, I will read for you the publisher's summary from Audible, where I like to listen to my audiobooks. And I quote, Western civilization's genius is in its synthesis of reason and faith. These foundations are under assault today from Islamists and radical secularists. Unless Western society recovers its confidence in this synthesis and its capacity to magnify human freedom and achievement, our future is limited. This sharp commentary on the rise and current decline of Western civilization touches on historical moments, including the building of early universities in the Middle Ages and the American Revolution and figures, including Augustine, Aquinas, Edmund Burke, and Adam Smith, that exemplify the faith-reason synthesis at the heart of Western civilization, as well as the modern villains that threatened to destroy it. It's not a long book. It's actually quite short, six hours. There is something about a short book or several short books every now and then, which can be very refreshing. You can get very fatigued, like you're running a marathon when you listen to long books, only long books ever all the time. And it can be helpful for someone like myself to read books that are quicker to the punch because I have a tendency to be longer-winded. Also, another reason why I've got this podcast where I talk about everything and to have episodes that are, on average, 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes long. But this is not a long book. It's six hours even on Audible. If you listen to it on double speed like I did, that's only three hours. I listened to it over two days, yesterday and today. And there's a lot of books that cover this general theme, but I thought that Samuel Grigg did a fine job of it. Uh, As is often the case, if I'm not already familiar with the author, I try not to read too much about their backstory. I am content to see what the synopsis of the book is and the topic. And if it's got good ratings, then I know either A, it'll be a good quality book I agree with, or it'll be representative of positions that I disagree with, but it'll be something that they speak highly of, which I could quote to them or about their position in a conversation debate back and forth with some reasonable success of being able to quote them rightly, to to strongman their position, as it's called. Not straw manning, strong iron manning, steel manning, I guess. You want to steel man your opponent's position and deal with the strongest possible version of it so that you're not accused of bad faith, having misrepresented, caricatured, misrepresented what it is that they're trying to say to make it easier to reckon with. But Reason, Faith, and the Struggle for Western Civilization, it deserves its own place, I would say, among many other works that cover this general theme, which I have been very interested in over the past year. I am currently at 31 books for the year, which I feel pretty good about. And a lot of the books that I've been reading this year and in recent years have been approaching the same question from different angles. The first book I finished this year was How the West Really Lost God by Mary Eberstadt. And this fits in well with that 
book. Not particularly obsessed or concerned with defending a particular version or flavor of Christianity or even necessarily just Christianity. Christianity and Judaism are indispensable from a keen understanding of Western civilization. And there is something separate and distinct about Western civilization as compared with merely westernized countries. There's a difference between being a part of Western civilization, a product of Western civilization, an heir of Western civilization on the one hand, and just living in a country that has adopted a lot of Western technology and conventions. There is a difference. The Western way of thinking is distinct from, let's say, the Hindu way of thinking. Somebody from India may be using a PC, a Microsoft Windows-based operating system. They might be speaking on a smartphone when they call up their wife to say they're on their way home from work. They might be watching even Western movies or eating at a McDonald's. I don't know. Maybe not a McDonald's so much, but all of those things are products of Western civilization and a country which embraces them wholesale, like let's say, for instance, as an example is given in Samuel Gregg's book, Japan, a country that embraces those products of Western civilization is not necessarily a Western nation. For better or worse, whether you love Western civilization or you hate it, that's just the fact. But there's no denying that America, the United States of America, is a product of the Enlightenment, which is itself a product of Western civilization. America is a Western country. Because there again, it's not about geography, where in the world the country is. It's a question of what are its ideas? Where do those reside? Where do those find their center? Now, an interesting argument is made by Samuel Gregg that what made Western civilization so successful is not just that the Greeks and the Romans had a systematic, organized way of putting information together, thinking of nature and the world and humanity and civilization and culture and technology in a systematic way. That was important. But what really set the whole business off was Judaism by way of Christianity, if you will. Jews and Greeks had some interaction prior to the spread of Christianity throughout, let's say, the Roman Empire, for instance, throughout Greek territories and city-states. But it was Christianity that put Jews and Greeks on a level playing field and made them see one another as equals. If they were brothers in Christ, they were reading the Apostle Paul saying, there's now no longer either Jew or Greek, for instance, for example. And the Greeks would have had a hard time embodying that claim, believing it, living it out, and so would the Jews have. But insofar as both endeavored to, Western civilization was able to be cohesive and to have a mind and also a soul in a way that otherwise would not have been possible, plain and simple. The God of the Bible is not some capricious, always changing, influx, unpredictable God. The God of the Bible is not a God of chaos, as we read in the scriptures. He's a God of order. He doesn't change. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Also, given the fact that he's the same and that he's a God of order, and the fact that we read about human nature, that there is no new thing under the sun, for one. Also, that no temptation has seized us, but that which is common to man. We are able to actually do science and to build civilization and culture in a way that is both progressive after a fashion, lowercase p, progressive, and also conservative after a fashion, all at the same time. We're looking forward by looking back to where we come from, according to God in the West. Now, someone will say, oh, wait a second, wait a second. That's not the way that it is anymore. Western civilization has abandoned all that. And now Western civilization is secular and ambivalent at best, hostile at worst to any claims that truth is ultimately knowable and objective. 
So take for example, take for instance, the abortion debate. What is a fetus? Is a fetus a person? As I believe, as I insist, as I argue, is a fetus a potential person? Does what we want a particular fetus to be or to not be make the difference? And is that all the tiebreaker we need if we're able to point to circumstances and conditions like inflation, like shortages of baby formula? A quick note on the baby formula thing. I see that Bette Midler got in some trouble because she had some kind of a flippant, so-called flippant response to the whole baby formula shortage. She said, just breastfeed, breastfeed the baby. You run out of formula, just breastfeed. That's free. Uh, I would add, I would, mo- I, I, I would note, I would, I, you know, it's, it's not quite free because the mother has to be getting in sufficient calorie intake, of course. Uh, but actually I do, I, I had the exact same thought. I'll put it that way. This is no defense at all for the Biden administration, but it is to say, uh, kind of like with marriage, when you're always making uh, backup plans, uh, you might sometimes find that you need them all the more as a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy because you made those backup plans. Uh, baby formula, I think, gets resorted to way too quick by women who are having a hard time nursing their child and they get frustrated and discouraged and they give up too quick before the milk comes in. Sorry, like, sorry if this is TMI. I know we just talked about modesty and breasts in a recent episode. I didn't think I'd be talking about breasts again so soon, but uh, breast milk really is best from a nutritional standpoint, unless the mother is just flat, not getting enough calories or she's abusing substances that you really don't want showing up in the milk. That is one big thing about formula is what you're taking. You know, if you're drinking a lot of coffee or if you're drinking a lot of alcohol or you're drinking some other things, you're taking some drugs, whether pharmaceutical or uh, illegal, you know, you, that, is a, that is something to consider. That is a factor that might make formula uh, more necessary. Although also, too, with regards to formula, just a just a quick quick note, and I don't know if there's near enough goat's milk in the country to uh, substitute. But I will say, uh, if you have access to some goat's milk, goat dairy, goat's milk is from a protein structure standpoint very very close to human milk, or it's a lot closer, anyways, to human milk compared with cow's milk. Uh, so therefore, it's a lot easier for an infant to digest to make use of. Uh, Also, if you add just a little bit of agave nectar to uh, goat's milk, it makes it sweeter and it's obviously going to be more pleasant and uh, more quickly and readily adopted by an infant. We've used uh, goat's milk and agave nectar formula, homemade formula before. And it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's cheap necessarily, but it is an option and it's a viable option. It's a, it's a valid option. Uh, we did formula a little bit with our oldest too, and then we did research on it. And our conclusion was breast milk is far healthier and is giving a much more complete nutritional package to an infant. And that is worth a lot, especially in the formative years from a brain development standpoint, from a avoiding food allergies standpoint. Uh, it's just, it's just better all around. And and then there's also emotional considerations, I think as well, but we'll save those for another day. But this question of whether we can know objectively, whether we need to know with absolute certainty and everybody, absolutely everyone of us needs to be fully persuaded and convinced in order for us to objectively state that we know as much as anything can be known, that a fetus is a human being, human person. Not a human soon to be, a human being, present tense. That is at the heart, that debate is at the heart of the struggle for Western civilization. Coming out of the Enlightenment, you have one camp of thinkers 
which see especially Roman Catholic persecution of scientists like Galileo as they are trying to study nature out of reverence for nature's God and they're writing things that conflict with teaching of the Catholic Church, which should not have been treated with as much importance by the Catholic Church as it was. It was tradition, and what they were really worried about was the unraveling of tradition because they were really worried about the undermining of their power, first and foremost, unfortunately. But you had a lot of thinkers. You had a lot of intellectuals, academics, scientists throughout Europe who saw that, and they embraced a very much more secular humanist view of science and the use of reason. And they were influenced by aggressively and increasingly brazen atheists who said that reason and faith are opposites. And the more you have of the one, the less you have of the other. And if reason is the highest good, then you have to have no faith. On the other hand, you have had all the while, the same span of time, concurrently and up to the present, Christians especially who do science, who are intellectual, academic, thoughtful, saying, no, actually, faith and reason are not opposites. If faith and reason are opposites to you, you might be doing it wrong. Your reason might be faulty, actually. (laughs) Your particular kind of reason might be opposite faith, but your particular kind of reason might not be all it's cracked up to be. And actually, it is still, as Herman Bovink says, in a Christian philosophy of science, which I, in recent weeks, had the great honor and privilege of editing, as Herman Bovink says, even the assertion of, as he calls it, positivist science, is based on claims made in faith. Namely, faith that God either does not exist or else is irrelevant to the questions we're trying to answer about the world we live in, about nature, etc., etc. It's a statement of faith. So it actually takes as much faith, and I would argue a great deal more faith to be an atheist and to say this all just happened by chance. You know, you're listening to this podcast, and what link in the chain that made that possible is due to chance and randomness and chaos. Now, you might not be fully aware of your reasons, but you have reasons, all kinds of reasons. For that matter, the instruments and the devices that you're using, whether that's your phone you're listening directly or your phone is connected to a speaker or to your car stereo, your truck stereo, you know, none of those things arose by chance. And it would be absurd to say when you look at those things, well, all I know is that they exist. I really don't know where they came from. I don't care where they came from. It would be absurd to say it doesn't matter also if someone else says, no, no, no. Let's take a look at this. Let's trace this back, especially when something starts malfunctioning and you want to figure out how to fix it, how to make it work better. Where can I get another one of these? So for the Christian, actually, we rightly, or more to the point, Christ, who we believe in, lay claim to Western tradition, Western civilization. And in the postmodern conception And in the secular humanist era that we still unfortunately find ourselves in, tens and hundreds of millions of people have been murdered, not because of an excess of Christianity in Western civilization, but because of the removal of Christianity from Western civilization. Hitler was not a Christian. He wasn't acting on Christian teaching or the character of Christ. Neither was Stalin, for sure. Certainly not Mao. Certainly also not the Democrats who have championed abortion for the past 50 years in the U.S. They are not acting on the teachings of Christ. They are acting in opposition. Speaking of acting in opposition, I have another book I just finished today, which, as I said, is very interesting to consider in juxtaposition with the Samuel Gregg work. Matt Saccaro published Sex, Lies, and Scantrons, The Average American's Public School Experience back in 2014. This one's even shorter than Samuel Gregg's book, 
at three hours long. And again, I listened on one and a half to two times speed. So this one I listened to on double speed and it only took me an hour and a half to get through. Publisher summary reads as follows. As a student named Rick Starr experiences elementary school, middle school, and high school, he learns more about gender roles, psychological isolation, bullying, and apathy than about reading, writing, and arithmetic. After suffering through bad teachers, navigating the social ladder, confronting bullies, and completing countless standardized tests, he has a revelation about public school in America. It's comprised of sex, lies, and scantrons. You know, what's so interesting, you know, this is all written as first-person narrative, and it would seem to be personal experience, perhaps Matt Saccaro's personal experience. It's very believable, and it's oddly encouraging and also depressing all at the same time. First, it's depressing because it's awful that any child would be so abused and neglected and desensitized and demoralized. And I hate that. Uh, And I hate that the majority of the children in the United States of America for the past several decades have had this as more or less their experience. And still today, even worse, even more glaringly, more blatantly, more obviously. But it's encouraging in some sense because I wrote, and this is why we homeschool, I wrote the book as a homeschooled kid growing up who's now father of eight, all of whom of school age we are homeschooling, and the younger ones as they get to school age we will homeschool as well. I wrote, and this is why we homeschool, because I observe all of this as an outsider. And every now and then when I have talked about it quite a lot and I've noticed a number of people pull away, shy away, maybe avert their gaze, avoid me, ostracize me as adults because they're afraid of peer pressure still. They were, they were raised to be addicted to the approval of their peers and to be terrified of losing that approval. And they're still not departing from it. They were trained up in the way they should not go and they're still not departing from it. Every now and then it gets to me just a little bit and I think maybe I'm making too big a deal out of this. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm tilting at windmills. And for what? And then I read a book like Sex, Lies, and Scantrons, and I think, nope, 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 I had it. I am on the money. I am over the target and on point. And there's so much cynicism, and there's so much (laughs) just nihilism. There's so much meaninglessness communicated in the experience of this kid growing up in the public schools being raised by the public schools. It's so tragic. You know, the teachers come in a couple of predictable varieties. Either they really don't care at all and they don't even try to pretend that they care. They're just abrasive, abusive, mean. Hair trigger, if any question would reveal them to be saying things carelessly that don't make any sense or not true. Then they start to care. Yeah, they, 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 well, boy, howdy. They didn't seem like they cared before, but they really care about this kid not mouthing off, not talking back to them, pointing out the error of what they just said. Yes. Yes, indeed. Dress this kid down who had the courage. Dress them down in front of all of their peers loudly and angrily. And this is why we homeschool. Available on paperback and e-reader. Anywhere books are found online, just about. But then I see Not the Bee staff having posted 3.17 p.m. today. Florida Middle School principal writes Facebook posts telling parents to stop getting in our way. And I quote, because teachers will do what's best for your students in spite of you. Sarah Hembry. Let's just read it. Tallahassee Public School Principal writes, yes, teachers love name brand craft supplies, but what they actually want is to be treated like professionals. They want to be paid a living wage. They want to be allowed to go home in the evening without lugging work. And they want to decide what they teach in their classroom based on the needs of the students in front of them. I am so tired of being told we don't know what we are doing or 
that we are messing with parents' rights. Two years ago, we were heroes and proved that we are the backbone of many social services. Today, I say, parents, quit pushing for stupid bills and getting in our way. Legislatures, education is not your lane. Get out of it. Schools are going to do what's best for your students in spite of you, and they are going to run out of people to care for your students if you keep it up. Love, retired principal. That was so loving. That was so loving. I just felt the love. Did you feel the love? Can you feel the love tonight? Again, uh, and this is why we homeschool. <clears throat> yeah, it's available on paperback and e-reader, anywhere books are found. Exhibit A. What you have here is you have an educrat. You have a educational system bureaucrat, entitled as can be, who really believes you are too stupid and ignorant and uneducated to weigh in on this. So just shut up and let her decide what to do with your children. How dare you talk back to your betters, your superiors? Who do you think you are? You're just getting in the way. Your kids don't need you. They need us. So you'd better, if you know what's good for you, stop it. You don't know anything. We know everything. You don't know anything. And this is exactly why, even if you're not going to homeschool, you should absolutely positively be opposed to the government having a monopoly on education. This, this kind of arrogance and pride and disdain. At a minimum, someone displaying this is not bringing their A-game. They're so busy justifying themselves, puffing their chest out, telling you how awesome they are. If you were really so awesome, you wouldn't need to tell us, actually. It would be self-evident. And oh, by the way, they are not your kids. These are not your kids. How many decades more do we need of proof positive that when children are everyone's responsibility, they're actually no one's responsibility. It is the tragedy of the commons. Only we're not talking about some field. We're talking about people. Again, children are people. They're human beings created in God's image. You have a responsibility before God because not only do they belong to God, you belong to God, and one day you will give an account. Better than a millstone would be tied around your neck and you'd be thrown into the midst of the sea than that you should cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus, who believe in Christ, to stumble. But this book, Sex, Lies, and Scantrons, is very candid, very just matter of fact, this is just what it is. When a memo goes out to parents that, there will be no backpacks in this school this year because backpacks cause chiropractic issues and take up too much space in the hallways when kids are trying to get to and from class. The principal will have a meltdown on your child or you if you didn't get the memo and you show up with a backpack because in your last school, last year, you did wear backpacks because, of course, that's how you carry around your books. How else am I going to carry around my books? But... On their way to chew you out, 7th grader, 8th grader, in front of everybody, in front of all your peers, to make you cry on your first day back to school after being off all summer in a strange place with strange people, you're going to pass right by these three kids who are tormenting this other kid because he just so happens to have a funny last name or his dad's a truck driver or he's smarter than they are, and they don't like it, and there's more of them than of him. That's, that's fine. That's fine. No, it's not fine. The basis of Western civilization is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And also, fast forward to the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then the first thing God says is not good. Is that the man would be alone, so he makes a helpmeet suitable. And isn't it funny? Isn't it, and I don't mean this to be flippant and unkind or anything, but isn't it funny that this book basically says the only halfway decent thing they remember from school was sex. And as a Christian, we recognize the kind of sex being described here as sexual immorality. You know, these kids, the end of their 11th grade year, they go off into the park and they drink and they get drunk. And one girl in particular, she drinks until she just completely blacks out there in the grass. And the football team carries her off into the darkness, according to the story anyway. I don't know if it's a true story, but 
Meanwhile, the, the guy who's writing all this in the first person says he's just standing there thinking like, well, somebody should do something, but I, you know, none of us want to do anything because it's the football team. and They're going to stomp our faces. So we just let them carry her off into the darkness and rape her because she was asking for it because she drank too much because we're all just animals. You and me, we're just mammals. This really is the difference between Republicans and Democrats. And I don't mean every Republican. And I don't mean every single person who's ever voted for Democrats. I'll put it that way. But really, truth be told, you have to elevate progress, human progress as defined by godless men to a place of reverence and worship, which only God deserves in order to vote for Democrats. Because the only thing that they have as a talking point, the only thing that they can offer and sell you is vicious attacks on anybody who doesn't like their policies because they're irresponsible and immoral and ungodly and extremely foolish, or promises of progress, or both. Hey, you want progress? Vote for me. I'm a Democrat. Vote for me. It's just time. Be on the right side of history. Do it for the children. Progress so defined is not progress. Read the fine print. Another interesting not-to-be piece here. Daniel Payne writes, Not a joke. A child sex abuse prevention center has hired a disgraced professor who believes pedophiles should be rebranded as minor attracted persons. Yikes. It's a he. This is a he. I can't tell, just glancing. But I think that was the intention of this person. Let's let's straight up legitimate pedophilia. Based on our way of thinking about the relationship between these students and teachers in the public schools, and also based on our complete lack of morality, and based on our commitment to, as Carl Truman says, as he puts it in Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, this view of the self, where the ultimate form of expression, the ultimate good, really, is to be authentic. And thanks to Freud and Nietzsche, And Rousseau, we believe that man is born free, yet everywhere is in chains. All all the men who avoided being aborted, that is, of course. Man is born free, yet is everywhere in chains. Oh, we've got to dismantle all these systems. And oh, by the way, religion is nothing but superstition. And we're too smart for that. We are the pinnacle of human evolution. We know better. So tear it all down. Tear it all down and let us build back better. Only we might redefine the meaning of every single word in the dictionary once we're in charge. Build? Oh, what does it really mean to build anyways? Back? I mean, yeah, back. What Back is such a subjective concept. Build back? Oh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not going to build the things that you're accustomed to that we destroyed. No, no, no. We're not going to build those back. Like, we just mean build in any direction. I mean, it doesn't have to be back, forward, up, down. They just, come on, man. Better. I mean, better? Yeah, better. I mean, better according to me or better according to you? Because I, mean, I, I think this is better, don't you, with me being in charge? Come on, man. Western civilization typically does not bode well for such men in the long run. Now, our terminus as a civilization may be destruction. But speaking personally, I would be content if only those who are for murdering children or else molesting them or else systematically neglecting and misleading and abusing them, then abusing their parents in turn as well and investigating and probing them like our Department of Justice under Joe Biden has parents who objected to critical race theory and gender theory being hoisted on their children. I frankly think it would be better if only their end is destruction and the rest of us don't go in with them. This is another fantastic reason to homeschool your kids because by homeschooling, you are setting the example for your child that peer pressure is not the be all end all. 
It never should have been for you. If you attended public schools growing up, it never should have been for you. And I realize it might seem like I'm picking on you and I'm bullying you for me to point out that this is really, really bad and dangerous. It might remind you. You might have PTSD flashbacks to when you were a little kid in the public schools and you got picked on. I am not trying to pick on you and I'm not trying to bully you when I say we need to save our children from these child molesters. You know, my dad gets flack. <clears throat> and my dad is a truck driver, by the way. And if you have a problem with that and want to marginalize me for it, whatever, dude. Like, it's, I'd have to care what you think to be affected. And I don't, so I'm not. But my dad has said for years that public education really is a system of child molestation. And that's true in the most literal and undeniable of senses, or at least it was until five minutes ago, undeniable. It's increasingly denied and disputed as we try to normalize MAP, minor attracted persons. But when a teacher would be caught having sexual relations with one or more students in their classes, no, well, yes, yes, we would say that's molestation. And then when the school district would cover it up for the greater good, supposedly, so-called, because otherwise we might undermine faith in the system, well, you know, those are just outliers. Well, the only reason you think that they're outliers, actually, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced the more that I've dug in to this, the only reason you think they're outliers is because they've done such a fine job of covering themselves. They let these teachers float from district to district, from school to school, for as long as possible, especially if they're just needing teachers. Beware when someone tells you that they really do believe that truth claims are just a will to power, when their heroes are Saul Alinsky and Michel Foucault. Beware. They might be accusing you of operating that way, but at a minimum, you can be sure that they are operating according to that paradigm because that's just that's just what it is. That's just how everybody is, right? I think for you moms and dads out there listening who are homeschooling your kids, for you kids out there who are listening, who are homeschooled yourselves, I want to offer some encouragement. You know, the folks who have insisted for whatever reasons that they're just not willing to do that. If they're not willing to at this point, I don't think that there is a line past which, I mean, maybe like maybe outright murder, like maybe I hope, but if you, if you buy it, if you, if you acquiesce to the claim that parents should just get out of the way and let teachers and schools and administrators do whatever is best for your kids, that means whatever they don't want to call neglect, you've abdicated your right to say is neglect. Whatever they don't want to call abuse, you've abdicated your right as a parent to call abuse. Once you accept that, once you meekly tuck tail and shrink away while they do whatever enters into their imagination to do with your child, it's going to take a miracle for you to reverse course. Even if they're just flat out mentally, emotionally, spiritually aborting your children, which I think they have been. And I think they are, and I think they have been for quite some time, systematically on purpose. And one of the other great things that Samuel Gregg does in his book that I just finished is he talks about some of the things which Frederick the Great was on record as having said about organized religion, Christianity, Judaism, superstition. He and his father came up with an education system which was going to cure their country and their people of such superstitions. And you don't want to hear it if you're opposed to these things, if you're of the emotivist brand. I know you don't want to hear it. I know it offends you. But me saying this, my conscience being clear, is more important to me than whether or not you're offended. That's how we got Nazi Germany. That's exactly how we got Nazi Germany. And I'm I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Like that is literally exactly how we got Nazi Germany. 
It is not all the same. It's not all the same how you educate your child. It's not all the same who you vote for. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is older, he will not depart from it. You teach your child that their life is an accident, their life has no purpose, that it's okay that they abuse, torment, molest, rape one another. I mean, because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing when you remove all supervision, you selectively apply supervision where it's going to benefit the funding of your school district, your bonus, your winning an award or not winning an award in your region, your state. It's of a piece with the abortion question. I think part of the reason why there's so much resistance to the abortion business is because a lot of the same folks who don't want abortion to go away, when they do have children, they want it to be entirely on their terms. And if they don't count the cost on the front end and they find out it's more pain and suffering and sacrifice in the long run than what they'd anticipated, they want to reserve the right to just completely abandon ship or actively participate in the destruction of their child if that's what it takes to save themselves, to enjoy life. They're totally self-absorbed. Well, that doesn't mean that we need to affirm them. In fact, there's a holy and righteous God who will call us to account for whether we spoke up and warned those who were being led away to the slaughter. Will he not require their blood of us if we say nothing, if we don't warn them? Is that not what he promises? It is. It is. Rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. And there's no lying to God. God knows. He knows that you knew better. He knows that you suppressed the truth because your deeds were wicked. No more. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. To finish off this episode, I want to go back to the first part of the episode, which is where we were talking about James chapter 1. And a couple of things, a couple of just really quick takeaway points that pertain to all of the above. One, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We have handicapped and made weak and ineffectual and hollow our lives, the lives of our children, by not abiding by this, by rejecting this. We grumble, we complain, we see no purpose in it whatsoever. When we lack wisdom, the next section, the next paragraph, we don't ask God. When we lack wisdom, we just say, well, there's just no answer. There's no answer. I guess I'll just do whatever or be nihilistic or just shrug or just be depressed or just lash out at people because that feels good but is also lazy and also also ultimately destroys us as well as them. Or we'll ask for wisdom so we can check that box, but we really don't believe we're going to get it. We ask for wisdom, but we don't believe it. So then it doesn't matter. We, we actually got nothing out of it. You could have saved your breath. Why did you ask for wisdom when you weren't willing to hear it? You were committed to nihilism and being depressed and being conflicted. You wanted to know nothing. And so congratulations, but don't go pretending. Don't go pretending and corrupting everybody else with your nihilism. Stop it. It's selfish, self-serving, and wicked. Stop it. Next, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. We make these decisions as to whether or not to abort our babies based on whether we think we're going to make more money in the long run. Again, parallel universe. Somebody offers us a stack of cash. Is there a dollar amount at which we would be willing to let them tear our child limb from limb? Is there? Because that's essentially what you're doing. You're saying, I want money. I care more about my income earning potential over the rest of my life than I do taking care of this child. No, no, we don't do this, but we should. We should, we must, we must. And if we did, if we did this, if we adopted this attitude, it would make an enormous difference in how we relate. Same also with counting it joy when we face trials of various kinds. If in fact our faith is well-placed in Christ. Oh, we lack wisdom. How many gals who find themselves pregnant unexpectedly in circumstances less than ideal? How many gals have repeated the words, 
this phrase, this exact phrase, this exact wording, I don't know what to do. I'm just scared, and I don't know what to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Well, also her. If any of you lacks wisdom, let her ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. But you have to ask in faith. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. I was born this way. God made me this way. I can't help it. I can't help myself. I just, this is just what I want. This is what I do. You know what? It really doesn't matter whether you were born this way. We're all born with a sinful nature, and yet we're all still accountable for our actions. Thank God there's a Savior, but also, by God's grace, you have to repent and turn away from your sins. You can't keep celebrating them, making excuses for them, practicing these things, making your lifestyle revolve around them. No. You're not being tempted by God. God didn't do this. He is not tempted by evil. He tempts no one. It's on you. You are tempted because you're lured and enticed by your own desire. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do we believe that? Also, by the way, just as an aside, regarding whether somebody's made a mistake, whether two people have made a mistake and now there's a baby to be had, or whether somebody has been raped. If somebody's been raped and you're thinking about making an exception for abortion, you know who I might condone being aborted? The rapist. You want to abort somebody? Abort the rapist. Abort the one who actually did the evil, heinous, criminal thing. Don't abort that innocent child. That child didn't do anything. And actually, you if you abort that innocent child... Because you were raped, you are adding to your woes. Because you are putting on top of the guilt that you feel, whether you should or shouldn't, over having been raped, now you're going to add the additional guilt that will haunt you for the rest of your life. That you just took your own child's life. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is the basis of Western civilization, that God changes not. His character has not changed. He is not just some nebulous will who one day operates according to these principles, and then tomorrow, if he feels like it, he's just going to operate according to totally different principles. And you'll find out when you're on the wrong side of them. No. He tells us in his word who he is what he's done, why, what he's about, what his promises are, what he plans to do in the future. So get on the right side of that. Also, too, if you want to do science, science is impossible in a world in which it is impossible to know anything at all. But then also, it's impossible to have wisdom and make good choices. Everything's just random. Everything just happens to you. You have no ability to control yourself or your circumstances. So what's the point? And then you get a whole lot of people who commit suicide. That's where it comes from. That's not of God. That's of Satan. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Be humble. Humble yourself. There's a great idea. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So let's say you really, you, you don't know what to do. You, you're pregnant you find yourself scared or you've got a kid and the school is messing them up and tormenting them and neglecting them and abusing them. And you just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I'm scared and I don't know what to do. Ask God for wisdom and actually believe that he is going to give you wisdom. And then don't check the box when you hear the wisdom. Check the box when you act on the wisdom. It's not enough for you to just be able to say, oh, well, God said do this, 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 and this. And don't do this, 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 and this. Okay, but did you did you follow through with that? No. What benefit was it? None. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. You pat yourself on the back for having asked for advice. Great. What did you do with the advice you were given? If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, you know, maybe sometimes I myself, even, if you can imagine, would do better to say less. Because it says here, religion... That is pure and undefiled before 
God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you want to know the biggest thing that bothers me about the state of our country right now, it is that our decisions, individual and collective, as we have disobeyed God, we've rebelled against him, we've denied him, we've mocked him, and anyone who follows him, we've made so many orphans and widows, essentially. Well, you know, whether the parents, the spouse, are actually in the picture, we've made so many widows and orphans. God says the religion he's looking for is to take care of those widows and orphans. So listen up. If you are a husband, don't make your wife a widow. Don't throw her to the wolves. You're a father. You're a mother. Don't send your kids off to the equivalent of a nine-to-five orphanage. Homeschool them. Oh, they're just, they're, they're only orphans while I'm working. That's fine. No, that's fine. Everybody's just, everybody's doing it. Yeah, because that's a really great basis for figuring out the right thing to do. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I guess I, I did just read in James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him just look at what everybody else is doing in society and do that. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, 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 never mind. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Okay, I was close. No, actually, no, no, I'm not, I'm not close. No, 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 no. Ask God. I'm going to leave it at that, though. That's all I will say for this episode on these questions. You might check out Sex, Lies, and Scantrons, The Average American's Public School Experience by Matt Saccaro. If you do, I would not recommend listening to it with children present. There is language, and uh, there are some very stark uh, subjects discussed that maybe your kids are already plenty familiar with, but I, for one, uh, I would just give you a caution. It is... mm, Rated PG-13 to R. I'm probably closer to R, honestly. Reason, Faith, and the Struggle for Western Civilization by Samuel Gregg, on the other hand. Great book. Very worthwhile. Do listen to that one with your kids present. They'll learn a thing or two. We should not shrug at what we even inherited. We should not shrug at our responsibility to safeguard it before God. We have a long, rich tradition of Christian men and women honoring God by taking responsibility for their families and their churches and their communities, their states, their nations, blessing them, being a blessing, seeking the welfare of the city. So say we all. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.